Thank you for listening to this message from the pulpit of New Grace Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. We hope the message you are about to hear is a blessing to you and your family. All right, we're going to go ahead and get going. So turn your Bibles to uh, Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. I don't have a phone or anything on me. Okay, yeah, 6 or 5. All right, so we're continuing through the end times, and this morning, or this afternoon, sorry, uh, we're going to look at the church of Laodicea. Uh, just to remind you where we are, uh, and you got these in your notes, um, first week we looked at the outline of the book of Revelation to really determine what is being spoken about at what point of the book. And so, of course, book, uh, chapter 1 were the things that John saw, and again, what did John see? Jesus. Uh, then chapters 2 and 3 are the things that are, and that's where we are today uh, in the things that are. And then chapters 4 and on are the things that uh, will be. And then last week, of course, we looked at the seven churches uh, of the church age and saw what each age of the church represented and really where we are uh, in the church age today. But today we're going to look closer at what God says to the church at Laodicea, which is the, the le- really the only letter that matters to us because it is the church age uh, that we are in. And it's also very, very interesting. So let's look at uh, chapter 3. <clears throat> We're going to start reading in verse number 14. <clears throat> and unto the church, uh, unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou may know it, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him, and he with me. To him that overcometh will I uh, grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit Spirit saith to uh, the churches. So he begins by saying that he he knows their their deeds. He knows their works. And that they're neither hot nor cold. Again, he's drawing uh, from the culture to prove a point. Here's a map of of Asia Minor, uh, where... The church at Laodicea is, is located, well, you can't see it on my computer, right over there. But you also have it on the map, it's probably small on your, on your map. Uh, now, the church of Laodicea, it sits in a valley, and we're gonna, you're going to see it a little bit later. Um, but this valley uh, has two rivers that deliver water to the city of Laodicea. One of them comes from hot sulfur springs, and so it's hot water. The other one comes from uh, mountain springs, where the, the snow is melting, so it's cold water. So they have hot and cold water running into the, uh, the city. Um, and so he draws on that to point to their deeds. Now notice, 
He doesn't say that their deeds are hot or cold. Uh, <clears throat> look again. Um, I know thy works, verse 15. I know thy works, that thou art neither hot nor cold. So he goes, I know your works. He doesn't, he doesn't care about their works. He's not concerned about their work. You know, the work you're doing is fine. Uh, the work you're doing for me, is it, it, it doesn't really matter. Um, he doesn't care about the works. He cares about the people. And he says the people are lukewarm. Now remember, how do we interpret the Bible? We saw this last week. Well, you can write it down again. Three things. We look at the literal interpretation, the general interpretation, and the prophetic interpretation. Uh, and remember, when you, usually the first one we look at is always the literal. And I said last week, when the plain sense of Scripture makes common sense, seek no other sense. So we've got to ask ourselves, does what he's talking about here make sense? Is he talking about their body temperature? Oh, no. See, so saying you're not hot, you're not cold, y'all are, you know, you're not 96.8, you know, you're, you're too, you're too lukewarm. He's, he's not talking about their body temperature. Yeah, he's saying you are hot and cold. Yeah. Now I know, you know, I'm hot, y'all are cold. There's no real middle ground here. I walk in this afternoon, and Lexi, you know, they're all wearing, you know, winter coats. Uh, and April's fussing at me, and I'm, I, t- I showed her, I showed her my phone, I was like, let me show you how cold it is on here, and it was 64, it's like, okay, maybe, 68, like, maybe, maybe bump up a, a, a little bit, give you a little bit of a break, but then I'll turn my fan on. So he's not talking about their, their body temperature, that's, that's literal, it doesn't make sense, so we've got to move to the next. We have to look at the general interpretation, and that starts by understanding the metaphor. Um, so he uses a metaphor of being hot and cold. How would you describe that type of metaphor? What word would you use to describe it? Well, that's what it means, but it's a, let me give you a big word here, it's a dichotomy. Connor does. <laughs> now, a dichotomy means a division or contrast between two things that are represented as entirely being entirely different. I'm going to give you an easier definition. Two Mutually exclusive exclusive options. If someone asks a woman, are you pregnant? I do not recommend ever doing that. Unless she tells you she's pregnant, do not ask her if she's pregnant. But if you ask a woman, is she pregnant, what's the answer you're going to get? Yes or no. Now, she may say maybe because she doesn't know yet, but she can't be a little bit pregnant. You know, there's no, oh, I'm just a little bit pregnant. No. You're pregnant or you're not pregnant. It's it's a you know there's no differentiating between you, you know yeah there's no in between. You're either pregnant or you're not pregnant. Same thing here. On some scale, the church at Laodicea they are either hot or they're cold. That's what God says He wants them to be, but they're neither. They're they're in between. So they are lukewarm. So how can someone? be lukewarm on this type of scale, on a scale that is either one or the other, how can you be, how can you be lukewarm? Well, we've got to go back to the metaphor. Um, they say that they were rich and in need of nothing. <clears throat> See, this is where Jesus is getting to. They are saying they are one thing, but they are really something else. 
And this is what makes them lukewarm. They are rich uh, physically. They are in need of nothing monetarily, but they're spiritually poor. So look at those rivers again. Here are the rivers. Closer view of, the, of Laodicea, um, where the, the cold river is, is coming out of the mountains and the hot river is coming out of the springs and they meet together. And here's where they meet. Um, and where they meet, what happens when you combine hot water and cold water? You get lukewarm water. Um, and, and so the people at Laodicea, they understood what he was saying. Because they have hot water coming from one place, cold water coming from another, and where it meets, it's lukewarm. And it's not like uh, taking a, a hot bath or a warm bath or a hot tub. It's just, it's kind of stacked. You ever been in, a, in, in the middle of summer where you go into a pool or a lake, and it's like as warm in the water as it is out of the water? Y'all ever had it? We've done it. There's a, a, a lake up, Lake Anna, up uh, in northern Virginia, that is, uh, it has a nuclear power plant uh, right on it. And actually, the water from the lake cools the power plant. And so on the other side of the power plant, the water comes out ex- like scalding hot. So even in wintertime, it's like, it's like 85 degrees, the water, uh, which is great in winter. But in summer, when it's 88 degrees outside and it's 88 degrees in the water, you get no relief. Yeah, it's just like, eh. It's kind of dank and stagnant. And that's what... That's what uh, God's saying here that they are lukewarm. Um, now, the, uh, the hot springs, they, they couldn't drink them because the, the sulfur was so potent that it was poisonous. But even when it mixed, if they drank it where it mixed, they would become sick, violently ill. They actually used it as a medication to help induce vomiting uh, in case you got food poisoning. Um, so if they would drink this lukewarm water... They would vomit. And that's what Jesus said. He goes, he would, he would, he, their lukewarmness made him spew them out. The Greek word uh, for spew is ameo. It literally means to vomit. That's what Jesus says about the church. He goes, you, your, your works are irrelevant. I don't care that you're, you're you know, you've got a bus ministry. I don't care that you're handing out tracts. I don't care that you're paying for missionaries. I don't care that you're having great services and big worships and all that. I don't care about that. Your works are irrelevant. You are so lukewarm, you make me sick. Um, doesn't sound like something nice that you would say about your children. You know, I, you know so I pick on my kids, but I'm not really like, you make me sick. You make me want to vomit. Uh, that's, you know, that's just nothing, that, that's something you want to do. Um, so we got to look at the contrast. They say they are rich and wealthy and in need of nothing. Look at verse thir- uh, 17 again. Uh, it says, because thou sayest, uh, this is what they say, I am rich and increased with good and have need of nothing, and knowest not, and here's what they are, that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. That is a big contrast. We're rich and don't have anything. No, you're poor and naked. You know, we're we don't. You know, if you're if you're naked and blind, do you do you have needs? Yeah. And so God's like, you say you don't have any needs, but you do. Uh, you've got a lot of needs that you have to deal with. Um, so now we have to have something to know <clears throat> the analogy, know what Jesus is talking about. So let's look at that dichotomy again. Um, they say they are one thing. They are saying we're rich, 
we're wealthy, and we need nothing. But God says they're actually wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You cannot have it both ways. There is no lukewarm when it comes to this. You're either rich or poor. You're either in need of nothing or you're naked. You're either, you know, uh, you either have everything together or you're wretched and miserable. You can't be both things. So Jude Jesus is using this phrase lukewarm to describe someone who thinks they're on the hot side but they're really on the cold side. They think they are one thing, but they're really something else. It's the, they, think that, uh, they think they're in the middle when there's really no middle. So what's he talking about? Again, literally, they're not walking around blind and naked and poor. That's a metaphor uh, for what he's talking about. So we have to ask, what does it mean spiritually to say someone is blind, naked, poor, and miserable? You know, we all know the song Amazing Grace. I once was lost, but now I see. Oh, I'm sorry, I once was blind. You're right. I once was blind, but now I see. He is talking about I once was lost without God, but now I see and I have accepted Christ as my Savior. Um, so blind is an analogy for salvation. So what Jesus God's saying here is they... Say they know Christ, but they don't have Christ. But he's talking to a church. Right? Right to the who at Laodicea? The church at Laodicea. <clears throat> now, when y'all came in this evening, was someone at the door asking you to prove your Christianity? No. We didn't ask for your Christian card. Uh, we didn't ask for you to pass a test, you know. And there's an old saying: you can sit in a car and it doesn't make you a garage. Uh, you can sit in a garage and it doesn't make you a car. You can sit in a church and it doesn't make you a Christian. Um, so the point is, when he is talking about the church, he's not just talking about believers. Let's look back at chapter uh, three, verse eighteen. <coughs> it says, "I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire." that thou mayest be rich in white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thy eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. So again, Jesus again is using symbols here. Uh, fire, uh, gold tried by fire, he's referring to the inheritance that is promised to every believer that puts their trust in him. You know, when we become a child of God, we receive a heavenly inheritance. We are joint heirs with Jesus. And as we work on, serve Him on earth, we receive crowns for glory that we get to give back to Him in heaven. Uh, but then also He said, uh, white raiment that thou mayest be clothed. Uh, you know, white raiment in Scripture is a, a symbol for purity. Uh, and again, you know, said that clothe thy nakedness and the shame of thy nakedness. Remember in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of the garden, and they saw they were naked and they were ashamed. Now, they weren't shamed because of their bodies. They'd always been naked. It, you know, it wasn't new to this. Like they ate the fruit and all of a sudden their clothes vanished. They'd always been naked. But they saw their nakedness. They realized their shame. And so God's saying, look, you need to clothe yourself in, in righteousness and in purity. And when we receive Christ, we receive the purity through the gospel. Because 
of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection as payment for our sins, we accept His gift, we are clothed, Paul says, in the righteousness of Christ. Before, we are naked and we don't know Him. After salvation, we are clothed in white purity when we receive Him. So God is telling this church to make sure that they are clothed, to make sure that they are saved. Then He tells them to use the eye salve to cure their blindness. So He is telling us something about the church in the last days. And here's what He's telling us. The church in the, of the, in the last days of Laodicea, the church age, the church is going to be a lukewarm, apostate, unbelieving church. That's how God defines our church. Not, not our church. You know, not, not here. Uh, but the church. <clears throat> That's what God looks at. it Now, there's still believers in the church. He's not saying that no one's saved. But He is saying something. There is a visible church and an invisible church. So let's look at the visible church first. The visible church is exactly what it sounds like. It's what you see when you come to church. You know, you, you, uh, if someone came in tonight and saw us gather together studying the Bible, and they asked, hey, what are the, who are those people? What are they, who is that group of people? We are the church at New Grace Baptist Church. We are the members of, of New Grace Baptist Church. It is visibly a group of people gathered together. That is the church. But if they asked, okay, well, how many of those people truly know Christ? How many of them have been saved by faith? How many of them have been adopted into the family of God? I can't tell that. Now, I know your, I know your testimony, but I don't know your heart. I don't know your spirit. I can't see that. You know, I don't have a salvation detector, which I did. Uh, I'd use it on me first. But, uh, uh, so, you don't, you know, there's no way we can tell that. From the I, I can't look at that. I can't answer that question. Only you can answer that question. Um, so the visible church is what we see, but the true church are, is those people who know Christ through faith and have been washed and saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. That is the invisible church. They are a subset of the visible church. They are a part of the whole. Now, on a really good day, at a really good church, those circles are the same size. Everybody saved. At, well, to me, I don't really think that's a really good day. I think on a really good day, a lot of a lot of lost people should be there as well. But you know, a, re, a really good day at a really good church, everyone's saved. Now, there are times, and I've been in some of these churches on deputation where you walk in and you wonder, is anybody saved with me here? Is anybody really a follower? Of Christ, they truly know God. Um, so these people, they call themselves a church, but they're just the visible church. They don't truly know God. And what God is saying is that in the last days, that green circle is going to get a whole lot smaller. doesn't go away. There's still believers in the church, but it's a whole lot smaller than it used to be. That is what God, Paul calls... The great apostate. Uh, so I want to use a passage that confirmed that even 2,000 years ago, we were commanded to look for this. Go, turn your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2.
2 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse number 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto Him, that ye be not soon shaken in the mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come. What day? The last days. Speaking of the rapture of the church, the last days. That day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that a man of sin, uh, that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Now, falling away is the Greek word apostia. It literally means apostasy. Now, apostasy is an abandonment of religious beliefs. Uh, now, the son of perdition mentioned here is the Antichrist. So we're told 2,000 years ago not to worry about being in the last days until we see this great falling away. Now, he is not talking about individual believers losing their salvation. That cannot happen. So he's not talking about people who were once saved losing their salvation, but people who think they're saved and are really not. And they can shift uh, what they believe and what they teach. It's talking about a community, uh, the community of the church changing from one that is mostly Christian to one that is less and less Christian. So it's a falling away is a larger setting. It's the, the church not being as effective and not being as full of believers as it used to be. And if you study history, uh, you can see this happening uh, in church history today. You know, there are, are huge congregations all over the world that claim to be Christian, but the things they, they teach, the things they preach, the things they're doing are the farthest thing from Christianity that we've ever seen. They're not preaching the Word. They're not convicting of sin. They're not declaring the Gospel. They're not looking for the second coming of Christ. Mostly they're talking about being rich. It's the, and the, the prosperity gospel is huge today. And that's what Jesus had uh, said to the church at Laodicea. You say you're rich, but you're poor. You say you, have, you know me, but you don't. Now this event is one that will let us know we are approaching the end of the age. Now in the early church, it gave them confidence that they weren't near the end. It gives us confidence, we are near the end, uh, that the end is near. Now, so I'm not going to get a sign and say the end is near and start marching around, but we know the end is near. Uh, it also, it's also a shock. You know, what does it say about us? You know, what does it say about us that we are part of this church that God says every day that goes by, every year that goes by, it gets less and less Christ-like. This church, yeah, it's got believers in it, but man, there's fewer and fewer believers in it. Now, nothing in the Bible tells us to figure out other people's salvation, just to look at my own heart. But I want to look at another one. Look at a little bit of 1 Timothy, just a few pages over. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. Uh, or, I'm sorry, chapter 4, starting in verse number 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times... Some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrine of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, 
having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. So again, Paul here gives us two signs for us to know that we've reached the church of Laodicea age. The first one, he says, is people forbidding marriage. 2004, uh, over the battle for uh, same-sex marriage, a county in Oregon banned all marriages. The Supreme Court had yet, had, hadn't yet ruled uh, to approve same-sex marriage, and so this county wanted to issue marriage licenses to same-sex couples, but they were not allowed to legally. So they said, if we can't give it to everybody, we're not giving it to anybody. They banned marriage. Um, now, I'm not trying to get political here, and, you know, I'm not trying to, I'm just telling you what, what happens. Now, there's always been homosexual behavior. That is nothing new. That's throughout time, that's been something that, that man has dealt with. What is new is trying to redefine marriage in a way that is opposite of the historical meaning. Ban it from its traditional form and taken up in a newer form. Um, no, so never in, a, in human history have we ever lived in a time where marriage was under attack so severely as it is today. Paul says when we see that, we're near the end. Now the second sign is even more curious. Abstain from meats which God hath created. Um, you know, he's going to say that people are going to try to get you to avoid certain types of food. Anyone here, anyone here avoid gluten? I knew one guy who said he, he, had to, he couldn't eat gluten, and I avoid gluten, and all I saw him eat was gluten. Um, all right, uh, anyone here a vegetarian? Vegan? God help you. No vegans? All right, anybody avoid milk products? You're bringing about the end of that. Huh? <laughs> Now, I'm not saying that's a sin, because again, you know, people have to avoid these things. And look, allergies are real, and things have happened. The world has changed. I'm not saying that's a sin, but uh, it is common in our culture that everyone's telling you what you should and should not eat. You know, there's every everybody's got some some meal plan uh, telling you what's best to eat: keto, low carb, vegan. You know, everyone has some reason that their meal plan is the best. And look, we know this is the end of days. We know we're nearing the end because 50 years ago, you couldn't do this. You ate what you were given because that's all you may have. We, you couldn't afford to be picky. You know, you, you ate, and if you didn't eat, you didn't eat. And that's why even, you know, not even 50 years ago, when I was a kid, you know, we had, my mom had five, five kids, and so she would oftentimes make liver and onions because liver is a cheap meat. Here's the thing. We've never eaten, we, we've never in history have we, especially in our culture, in our country, had meat for every meal. That was, that, that hundred years ago, that wasn't a thing. You got meat once a week if you were lucky. The rest of the way you ate beans and, you know, vegetables and stuff, you did fine. But, you know, she would get uh, liver and onions because it was a cheap meat and she could feed a lot. I hate liver. And so she would give me the option. You can eat or you can go hungry. I chose to go hungry. Because I'm like, you know, breakfast is coming. Oatmeal is right around the corner. 
So I, I'm not going to starve to death. I'll just miss a meal. You don't see it. You know, a, today we had April made me a delicious lunch, uh, pulled pork with a homemade macaroni and cheese that Parker made. It was a little crunchy today. He did something different. He added shredded cheese. Okay. All right. But so he made, you know, she, she had corn and, and, and pulled pork and just a beautiful meal. Connor didn't like it, didn't want to eat it, didn't even try it. So April's like, well, have this, honey, have this, honey, have this, honey. And I'm like, when I was a kid, it's like, you eat what you get or you don't eat. But we can afford to be picky uh, today. Uh, back in the day, whatever came out of the ground, whatever at the market, you ate it and you were grateful for it. Now, again, it's not sinful to be a picky eater, unless you're Connor. <clears throat> but it is unique in our time. We live in the, the wealthiest time in human history. There, there are cities, huge cities, filled with wealth uh, that we can't even imagine, where most people can afford to be picky. And Paul says when you get to that point where people can say, hey, here's a perfectly good piece of meat, but y'all not eat meat. And forbidding people to eat it, we're, we're near the end times. Um, then look at one more passage, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Starting in verse number 1. This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Once you pay attention to what he says, people are going to become. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Do we see that in our culture today? People are very... Yeah, it's, it's a, everything he describes is YouTube here. Uh, they're covetous, they're boasters, they're proud, they're blasphemers, they're disobedient to parents, they're unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such, turn away. Uh, so Paul, I mean, he says, you know, during the last days, people are going to love themselves. They're going to love money. They're going to be proud. They're going to be arrogant. They're going to be unholy. They're going to be gossips. They're going to be, this, this is what most YouTube videos are. This is what most TikTok videos are. And it's the summary of the news. Now, here's the thing. Men have always been like that. This isn't a new yeah, men have always had these, these issues, uh, but that's not what is typical. But it wasn't just what people were known for. Yeah, people had these tendencies, but it was rarer. And it wasn't very common. It wasn't seen as much. Uh, here's my favorite, you know, one of the disobedience to parents. You, you kids, when you disobey your parents, you're bringing about the end times. just want you all to know that. Um, <laughs> now... Uh, the boomer generation got a whole lot wrong when it came to child rearing. All right? But we listened. We obeyed our parents. <laughs> you know, we, 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 we said, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. We respected our elders. We listened when we were told to do something. We obeyed. When I was a kid, a spoiled, rotten brat... You know, some kid who's back-talking their parents and screaming in, 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 in well, country cooking because they didn't have Walmart, really, uh, or Food Lion, or, you know, some disobedient 
bratty, spoiled, rotten kid was rare. It's not rare anymore. I go out in public and I see a bunch of kids I want to start whipping. Uh, I was like, you're not even mine, but you need a you need a good old whooping. And, you know, someone's been sparing the rod too much on you. Um, but so we're in a time where children are it's just they're they're naturally you know, you go out and you, you can hear kids talk to their parents, tell them, you know, shut up. Look, if I had told my dad to shut up, and my dad's not a great guy. He's a horrible father. But if I had told him to shut up, I'd be picking my teeth up off the floor. Uh, if I told my mom to shut up, she'd be throwing anything she could get at me. Shoes, and she'd never believe she did that. But, like, you would, you would throw coat hangers at us, shoes at us. You threw a frying pan at us one time because uh, she couldn't catch us, but she'd try to get us. Uh, but you, 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 it was unheard of. Somebody say, shut up, Mom. I, you know, but now it's a punchline on, on sitcoms. It's, just, it's, it's common. It's the nature of our culture to let kids do whatever they want. Again, I'm not trying to give you parenting advice. I'm just saying we're living in a time where this is typical, and it shows us that we are at the end of the day. So that tells us that all this, the end is coming. We don't know when. Now, look, I'm not going to, I have no intention of ever saying, you know, on September 23rd, 2024, God's coming back. Uh, Because I don't know. And if I ever say that, fire me. And then if on September 24th, 2030 comes back, I'll be in heaven going, told you. Uh, (laughs) But I'm not going to know. So I'm never going to tell you what day the end is coming. But we do know it's near. We're in the last age of the church. We don't know how long it's going to last. We don't know at what point we are at it, but we know we're at the end. And we know because we're at the end, false confessions are not only possible, false confessions in the church are prominent. There's a lot of people sitting in a lot of churches across the world who think they are believers who think they are one thing, but they're something else. God says they're lukewarm. So we need to make sure that we, because, again, I can't, I can't, you can't check anybody else, I can't check you. We need to make sure that we truly know Jesus as Savior. And, you know, not, and again, here's the thing, it's not that you know of God. You know of Jesus. The demons know of Jesus. And the demons are going to spend eternity in hell. They're fearful of Him, but they're never going to get saved by Him. They still don't obey Him. So we have to make sure of ourselves, am I 100% sure that I know God is my Savior? Am I truly hot, or am I hot and think I'm cold, and really I'm lukewarm, and God's going to vomit me out? Now next week, we're going to get into what, what you all came for, the things that will be. Thank you for listening to this message from New Grace Baptist Church. For more information about New Grace, check out our website at www.reachingroanoke.com.